time when film criticism is as provocative as ever, Feelin' Film ventures to change the discussion from what we hate about a film to what we love about it. We judge more on emotional experience than technical merit, because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome listeners to another mini-sode of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm Patrick, alongside my tag team partner, Aaron. Thanks to the votes of our patrons, we get the chance to talk about, and more than likely sing about, what could be one of our favorite animated features, The Lion King. Aaron, are you as excited about this as I am? Well, Patrick, I figured (laughs) I would spare our listeners hearing me try to reproduce that amazing opening song since i have no idea how it really is supposed to be saying song (laughs) so i thought i'd play it but yes i am super excited um this has long been my favorite animated film of all time uh i haven't really given a lot of consideration to if that's changed in the last several years but going back to childhood this is This is the one, like, this is the one that has stuck with me the most over time. So I'm excited as can be to get to talk about this. I'm pumped that our listeners picked this. I'm I'm actually surprised (laughs) that our listeners picked this. Um, Out of all of the different movies that we provided uh, as options for our donor pick episode for May, I didn't think it was going to be The Lion King, to be honest. This one felt a little kind of out of place in that list. I think we had uh, Saving Private Ryan in that list. We had... Uh, some other big blockbusters. Do you remember what they Forrest were? Gump. Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump was the other one yeah, that tied Forrest, with it. Forrest Gump tied with it. Um, yeah, there's there's a couple others in there too, and I just I uh, I did not expect this to come out, but I couldn't be happier, man. I'm I'm thrilled. I am too. I just I'm not really surprised that The Lion King didn't you know top. I mean, I know I think it tied with uh, with Forrest Gump, and so I was glad that we were able to break the tie with our own personal <laughs> opinions. But yeah, I just. To be able to talk about this is, is something that I, uh, I've been excited about for, um, well, hopefully been excited about for a while. I listened to the Retro Rewind podcast episode on it, and it got me pretty bumped about watching it in general. And so when we have you know, an opportunity to actually talk about it on air, that's even better. So without further ado, why don't we go ahead and just get on into it? How about that? I see no reason not to, my friend. Okay. So this is... Without saying, but we're going to say it anyway, we are a podcast that is best listened to after you've seen the film. So turn us off now, come back later. And hopefully you have seen The Lion King. If you're tuning in to listen to this episode, more than likely you've seen it. Because if we're spoiling stuff for you, uh, I don't even know what to tell you. I can't help you there. <laughs> so, Aaron, you got to watch it recently, so did I for the show. What was your, uh, what was your emotional reaction this time watching through it? Nostalgia um joy it just it all comes just flushing back to me i mean it's it's one of those timeless movies i know we call beauty and the beast the the timeless tale but um this one for me it the second that that opening song hits i mean i'm in right it is it is in capturing of your attention and you're completely engrossed from that moment. Like, it just grabs you. And there's something to be said about that 
where films with extremely strong openings and I mean, and I'm not doing this on purpose, Patrick, but to compare, like that's what La La Land did so well that grabbed my attention as well. I know you're shaking your head going, Aaron's got to talk about La La Land every single episode. I'm shaking, rolling my head, or rolling my head. I'm, I'm shaking my head, <laughs> rolling my eyes, but I'm smiling. I'm rolling my head. This is me rolling my head. You can't see it, but it's pretty amazing. And this one is like an actual legit comparison. I mean, and it, it really is. does. You're right. Right. Yeah. It, it's an opening number that just just takes you by the reins and, and says, okay, you're in, you're with me now. You're paying attention to my movie. And that's what happens for me with The Lion King. So mm-hmm. rewatching it this time was... An interesting experience when we when we when we podcast on on a movie, and particularly on a movie that we've already seen before. My personal process is that I take a very analytical approach to the film. So I I have my ability to take notes with me. I'm I'm really trying to pay attention to themes and and deeper talking points. You know, stuff that makes for good conversation. I couldn't do it. <laughs> I was so just enamored with this movie and that I couldn't like I couldn't watch it with my critic hat on if, if that makes sense I could only watch it as an emotional being who has always loved this film who grew up with a Pumbaa and Timon shaving set um I I had a Timon you know stuffed animal doll that would like ride around in the car with us. Like, like I was Lion King for life, my friend. And so this is impossible for me to not feel that way when watching it. I, I, I just, I was swept away all over again and <laughs> I tried to kind of half pay attention to it and do something else. And it didn't last very long. Cause the first song that came on, I started singing and uh, I had put this on, on Facebook, and luckily a couple people commented and were like, hey, there's nothing wrong with that. But I was like, you know, I'm in the middle of my living room busting out these lyrics at the top of my lung. I, I, I just couldn't stop, couldn't help myself. I was overcome with um, the memories of that, and, and those songs, they're just they're so great. So it was a, fin- it was a fantastic uh, rewatch for me. I had a great time. I love it, and it has lost nothing as far as I'm concerned. Well, I'm glad you, you, you feel that way. I, I actually feel the exact same way. And for me, this wasn't just nostalgia, but it was an opportunity to expose my four-year-old to, to this film. Oh, I he, didn't know that. Did this is, it, Was this his first time watching it? Yes. Oh, is, man. And, you know, we're always, you know, very kind of aware of, you know, what we want to expose him to, what's what we consider maybe too much. Uh, because this film had a lot of drama. I mean, there was, and that's one of the things that we'll get into was just sort of the weightiness of some of these scenes and some of the heavier themes that were that were applied or whatever. So exposing him to a to a movie like this, he was familiar with the Disney TV series The Lion Guard, which is really um, the the story of Simba as an adult and his little boy. So we had to kind of explain to him that this is the story of Simba growing up and that. His dad is Mufasa, you know, it's all this stuff. But by the middle of the film, um, I looked over at him and he was completely entranced in it. I mean, he was, he had his popcorn in his bowl and he was usually, you know, fiddling around. But at the moment when Simba is fighting Mufasa, or not Mufasa, but fighting Scar, he 
would not take his eyes off the television. Like he was just completely engrossed in it. And after we watched it, he goes, I want to see that again. So for me, that made me just incredibly happy because this is, I mean, I'm not going to spoil anything. I mean, this is not a spoiler by any means. This is my favorite Disney film and probably one of my favorite animated features ever because of all the stuff that's in it. And so to be able to expose my son to that and to have him respond with, yeah, I like that. Um, I am just overjoyed with that. So, uh, yeah, watching it was, was great. Uh, watching it with him was even greater. And, um, you know, looking at it through the lens of feel and film, I got a chance to really focus on the things that I already knew I enjoyed and then picking up some things that I maybe didn't notice. But when I saw them through this feel and film lens, they really, really uh, made me excited to talk about them. So um, one of the things that you mentioned was the timelessness in the movie. And let's let's start off with that opening sequence, okay? Because you mentioned, rightly so, the comparison to La La Land. There are not a lot of movies, and particularly animated features, that do this, that start off with a loud chant <laughs> from Africa. And you have this uh, immense animated sequence where you have animals gathering and then you have this one shot that that I, I just completely enjoy where the the camera zooms up over the plains and there's like the buildup of Pride Rock uh, at the climax of the circle of life. You know, it's just incredible. Um, the opening sequence to me, I think it was powerful. It said, here I am. Don't go anywhere because we're about to we're about to get drawn into a story. And I remember seeing it in the theater and just seeing that opening sequence and then everything finishing off with that that loud boom and the Lion King title card I was like okay what are we in for what's going on and and I was I was gripped from the from the from from that moment well from the beginning but I was like in like you know for crazy I was just in like completely after that and so when I look at a when I look at an opening sequence like that I don't know that there's ever been an animated feature that's done something that powerful that, that produces that kind of emotion. Now, what do you think? Oh, I, I agree. I definitely think it's an, it's an emotional piece and you know, it, that's why I said it grabs your attention and it, it doesn't allow you to, it doesn't allow your, your thoughts to stray or your mind to wander. If you're not really invested, I can imagine if you're sitting in the theater and you're fiddling with your, your, your whoppers trying to open them up or you're, you know, trying to take a drink or you're passing around the popcorn. It's the kind of opening that just makes you your head snap to the screen and go, Oh, what, wait, what, what's going on? There's chanting going on. And I think it also sort of set the tone because I'll tell you, I remember being a little bit worried about the Lion King or not. I, I was, I was young. So I, was, I guess I was, what were we? We were, this was 94. So we would have been in freshman. Yeah. We would yeah, have been freshman. yeah. I think so. Something like that. So freshman or sophomore, I guess I was old enough that I, I remember, I do remember thinking, how is this going to work? This is not a fantasy story. Like there's no spells and wizards and, you know, magical kisses and princes and princesses. And I wasn't sure what I was going to get. And so 
when you hear that that chanting you're kind of like oh okay like this is they're gonna really world build (laughs) you know this is really gonna be something unique that i'm not i've never experienced before because i don't know what life is like on an african savannah at that point in my life it's not like planet earth has come out where we've you know got these intricate you know intimate looks at uh different areas all over the world and their animal kingdom so it was really special in that way and like you said, the other thing I really love, and I like this in like all movies, is that title card smash. That end of sound, very, um, uh, very uh, brisk, deliberate. deliberate, deliberate cut off like title card, where it's just like bam, here it is. Cloverfield Lane did something similar to that, you know, in the middle of the car crash, and you know, messed around, and then it was like boom, here it is, and we both loved it then. So I, I like that as well because it's like a – it's a symbol or it's signifying to you that, hey, we've arrived and now we're starting the movie. So pay attention. <laughs> and uh, and and then from where it rolls into there, you know, we, we start getting a, a nice little story. So, yeah, this is, this is a, a chant that I think is so iconic that everyone all over the world probably knows. I mean, I don't even know. I would assume that people that – haven't seen the lion king may know that this comes from the lion king it's that kind of iconic uh type of song so yeah the opening is is stellar and and it really sets the mood it it just puts you in it and and gets you ready to to dive in with this new new world and the thing that i pulled away from it when i first saw it was this was coming on the heels of your what would you call your typical disney films you know your your aladdin's your little mermaids um, and those are the things that I was exposed to up till then. So the Lion King, that title card is really symbolic of just something coming out of nowhere. Because you're right, there were no spells. There were no witches and um, I guess you would call stereotypical characters. I mean, we were we're talking about a world full of talking animals. <laughs> and I think we've gotten that before in some cases, but there's just there was something different about experiencing this. And Finding that, I mean, in that whole sequence itself, not only the music, but that iconic moment, both at the beginning and the end, where Rafiki is holding up the child. And to me, I remember when, when I first became a dad, the first thought, well, not the first thought, but one of the first thoughts that came into my head was, I would love to take my child out to the wedding room and do that. That would be amazing. <laughs> because there's, I mean, it's, I've seen it done. I've seen it, you know, mimicked in, in different <laughs> different ways <laughs> sorry yeah. i'm just i'm just imagining now like holding, holding my, my own, child well you or me like just lifting <laughs> my ch- well i'm thinking like you know like i have created life you know like i just <laughs> i don't know it's like when i first saw it i thought he was like gonna sacrifice i was like why is the crazy monkey gonna sacrifice the lion cub <laughs> but yeah i i feel you and so to have an entire film uh, connect you as a human being to the world of animals was was a pretty powerful thing it felt at the time, I couldn't really articulate it this way, but it felt very mature. It didn't feel like a kid's movie. And even my response to it with my son was one of hesitation because of some of the the, the more heavy themes. But I love the fact that this is a film that balances a great uh, amount of drama and levity at the same time. And the songs, let's just, you know, let's just dive into that. The songs, I think, are what really drive this film not only the ones that we love singing (laughs) 
uh, like I Just Can't Wait to Be King, Hakuna Matata. If you're not dancing and singing when these songs come on, you're a sad person. Um, but also combined with Hans Zimmer's score, I mean, here's a guy who I, I love his stuff. I think he's fantastic. And um, I remember The Lion King was one of the first soundtracks that I was attracted to the score as a high school student. I, I, I think that it was a first time of me going, wow, there's something, there's something different there. There's something interesting. And, uh, and I'll confess this to you. I was actually listening to the soundtrack today, which is not really a surprise, but I found that for the 20th anniversary or whatever it was, they released a deluxe edition of the soundtrack, Mm -hmm. which included like six or seven other songs, three of which were instrumentals. So I went ahead and made the purchase. And so now I'm enjoying uh, a little bit more of my my Hans Zimmer, Puma and Timon, and all the stuff that that was originally part of of the uh, the original composition, but didn't quite make the the final final edit. So I'm pretty excited about uh, listening to that over the next days and weeks ahead. But but yeah, definitely the songs were were they became not only iconic, but I think that they were a musical representation of this interesting balance of of drama and levity. Yeah, I, I yeah, I agree. I mean, I love it too. I've I've listened to it many times uh, on its own, completely detached from viewings of the film. Um, I would I would wholeheartedly agree with your take on the score. I don't think I knew that it was Hans Zimmer actually until you just said that. And maybe I did, and I just forgot. But um, that doesn't surprise me anymore now that I think about it. Um, some of the sounds... you can hear some of the gladiator, some of the pirates in there. You can hear some of that. It's, yeah. it's, it's really cool to see that to hear that the influences that mm-hmm. would later or how it would later influence those other scores. Um, yeah, it, it's a wonderful soundtrack. I, like I said, I was singing at the top of my lungs. I probably haven't recited these songs in half a decade, maybe, maybe more that I can remember. And I remembered every single word without fail. Uh, every single note every single uh tone it's they're ingrained inside of me (laughs) um i was belting out can you feel the love tonight to my cats i mean it was it was it was a a bad sight i'm sure uh because i'm sure it'd be a wonderful (laughs) sight you know i'd love to have seen that on social media (laughs) no you would not but uh yeah i mean it just sweeps me away man and um i think that when you talked about balance between levity and the drama, and, and this is definitely a heavier film, which I want to discuss in a little bit, um, that it's the pacing of the songs and the soundtrack are done so perfectly to where we never, that's what, I guess that's the definition of levity anyway, is, you know, we never wallow in these terrible, terrible times right. for too long. We break them up with something interesting and, it's one thing to do that with the characters, but it just takes it to a whole nother level with these songs because I don't think it would be quite the same when, when Simba, for example, I can't, uh, not, I can't wait to be King, but, um, I guess it's Akuna Matata when, when he meets Timon and Pumbaa and he's, you know, things are down and he's kind of shaking around and he meets them and there's some funny dialogue, but it's the song that really, pushes the story forward and that's that's one thing i love about these disney songs and some other other disney songs do this as well but they move the story along they're not just 
singing about a specific moment in time. Like, time progresses, and it is a method of taking a shortcut to somewhere we need to get. But it does so wonderfully, because it kind of gives you the overall sense of what would have been happening in that missed time that we're not spending with the characters. And so it replaces dialogue and replaces exposition and i i really enjoy that in this that's a that's a great way i'd almost the only thing i would say is it is it provides those things in an entertaining way the songs do that i mean let's take be prepared for instance i mean what a whoa what a creepy song not creepy but yeah and uh, you know it's for a long time it was not one of my favorites i almost kind of skipped through it you know but watching it now I can appreciate it so much more because just like you said, I mean, it, what, what Scar sings about progresses the story. We find out what he's going to do and we get a little bit more roundedness to his character where he's, you know, deceptive and to a point where he's almost pretty scary looking or scary seeming. He's just like pretty scary. seeming. Okay. He is <laughs> he's yeah. terrifying. He's the, I read, <laughs> I read in the trivia that he's the only lion in the movie whose claws stay out the whole time. Nice. Like they never retract. Uh, So I don't know what that means. If that just means he's whatever. It's a good touch. It it is a good. Yeah. And, and Jeremy Irons just nails his character. It's just this creep factor. That's incredible. And it makes you really, really despise him. And we haven't even gotten to the pinnacle moment where I'm ready to punch him in the face, you know, Yeah. Uh, you know, with a sharp object, but these songs, there doesn't feel there doesn't seem to be a song that's out of place. Like it doesn't feel like, Oh, let's just throw in a funny song there. So I just can't wait to be King. We have this, this excitement and Simba of like, look, I'm going to be the man. You know, I'm excited about this. And of course, Zazu makes a great little, you know, foil to the, to him in that regard. And then we get into, um, you know, Hakuna Matata, be prepared. And then even, you know, can you feel the love tonight? Which <laughs> I think as, you know, as popular as it is and getting awards to me, it's the weakest of the songs. Uh, just because it's what, what? Yeah, I think, oh my oh, gosh. I, 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 I explain, go ahead. I think it's because of the fact that it's typical Disney. It's your love song and your, you know, whatever it, because the movie would work without the romance. I think it would. Yeah, no, I agree. I, think, I agree. It would. I, 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 think, I can see where if you, believe the film doesn't need the love story then the the song becomes expendable too pretty easily right it didn't it didn't lose anything with it but it didn't gain anything with it either i don't think mm, i disagree but go ahead okay. but no i mean i was just gonna say for even it i don't think there was a bad song in the film Mm-mm. and i think they all served a purposeful thing um and i think that's something that disney has going for it is that it the songwriters both music and, and lyrics are all somewhat purposeful. But with a movie like this, I think it really stands out as something that's intentionally purposeful and intentionally drives the plot along. So I enjoyed that quite a bit. Uh, it helped introduce us to characters, uh, to Simba and his relationship with Nala. And then, of course, what you mentioned, two of my favorite characters, sidekicks, who were great, despite what certain people have to say about Disney sidekicks, Pumbaa and Timon. Um, you, you have a genuine love for for all of these characters and it was a fantastic ensemble cast uh from from that regard so um 
the characters themselves brought about um, importance and purpose. I don't think I, I don't know that there was a character that felt like thrown away. Maybe Nala's mom, but that's There's, about it. Yeah, I don't I don't see any weak weak character main characters or side characters in the you know primary side characters in the film like this one in other films disney films there are definitely characters where i'm just like okay whatever like don't you don't matter to me um but that is not the case here zazu it works perfectly the hyenas work perfectly um everybody's role plays out rafiki you know works perfectly they're they all fit to me and um i love that you point that out because that's not always the case so speaking of which do you have a favorite character well Lion King? i mean i kind of i kind of tipped my hand a little bit when i said i had a timon stuffed animal that i used to carry on the car and sleep with and (laughs) i was obsessed with timon i mean i'm i you can ask my parents um well don't actually don't um but you could and ask aaron's dad (laughs) okay go go ahead um i was legitimately obsessed with that character patrick I, I i had everything you could imagine you know you know when you i don't know you probably went through this phase when you were a kid and you would go to the disney store in the mall and for me it was if there was timon gear merchandise i wanted everything and i mean i told you i had like a a fake shaving set i mean that's that's like hardcore when you start getting that kind of stuff for a character <laughs> and mind you guys remember this movie came out when i was a freshman in high school so this is a little bit odd at this point, but I was mm. so completely obsessed with Timon. I just thought he was the man. And I think it's because he, the the thing I was discovering at that time in my life, I we just put an article out. This is going to tie in a little bit. So since the Lion King is technically a coming of age story, um, I'm going to mention this. We just did a coming of age story in almost famous last week on our, our main episode and during the midweek, uh, we published on the website an article where myself, Patrick, and our three other uh, staff members all kind of wrote a blurb up about their favorite, one of our favorite coming-of-age films. And one of the things that I talk about in my blurb about the movie Reality Bites is the witty, kind of sarcastic dialogue of that film and how at that time in my life, which it also came out, I believe, in 94 – that was something I was really connecting with. And so Timon's character is that animated version of that. And I really enjoyed at the time his carefree, just do whatever I want, like no worries, the Hakuna Matata mentality. And I want to come back to that later. But to answer the question today in the present, the character that I really connected with on this viewing shocked me to no end. I was very surprised when I, didn't just shotgun the answer to this question and I actually put some thought to it. And it's Nala. Oh, it's... I thought it was going to be Ed. Ed. <laughs> uh, Ed is great, though. Um, <laughs> no, it's Nala. And um, I like it for a couple reasons. She's um, she's definitely not perfect. She is a flawed character as well. Um, for one thing, you know, she had a responsibility to not let Simba lie as his friend, but she kind of lets him go into the elephant graveyard. She doesn't, she doesn't really stop everything from happening. Um, but what I love about her is the fact that she then is the one that goes looking for him, right? She's the one that seeks him out. And I guess 
watching their relationship, this is probably something, and I can see why I wouldn't have necessarily connected to this when I was however old you are in freshman year, 15, 15 or whatever. Gosh, what are you when you're 14, 15? Um, that. Yeah. But the fact that their friendship goes from this, or their relationship goes from this friendship to this blossoming romance that is part of the nature and the circle of life that the 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 movie is really showing us about the African wildlands and, and this type of, you know, cats. This, this, this is reality. Like, this is what would happen. And so, I mean, well, they may not like sing songs together and all that stuff, but the the romance between them and the fact that, you know, the lion who needs a lioness to make lion cubs to keep, you know, the lion <laughs> line. Keep the, keep the pride alive. Pride, yeah, I like that. Keep the pride alive <laughs> is a very real thing. And so I really enjoy watching them grow from that innocent fun friendship into it's like best friends becoming lovers and i feel like it's so pure and so sweet and the fact that she is the one that seeks him out to help draw him back in she's the one that petitions him and really you know impresses upon him the importance of living up to his potential inspires him motivates him i can resonate with that and i can relate to that as someone who would say you know that if i had a spouse right now or, or in the past like a, a significant other, those are things that that person would do for me. They would they would drive me to be my best, and so I see that in Nala, and I've just I really liked her this time around for some reason. For that, well, I reason. think what I think what she does also is you mentioned that she's a well she's a strong character and she grows into a strong character. I, I I didn't realize that Moira Kelly actually voiced the the adult Nala. Um, Did until not know that either. Yeah, so. I was like, is that Moira Kelly? Yeah, it is Moira Kelly. I like her. But it, we talked about this a, a little bit. Um, or um, I think, yeah, it, we talked about it. I think about Disney characters are typically, uh, at least female characters typically aren't that, uh, well, I guess traditionally are not that strong. They're usually like damsels in distress and things like that. And I love that The Lion King really, I think it starts to turn the trend where you have an equal type of strength with this with a female character to her male counterpart i think that it says something about writers caring about all characters and not just trying to put stereoty- stereotypical uh, maybe genders in a box or whatever and the fact that they do it with lions and lionesses are uh makes that even more unique but yeah for all the reasons you mentioned i, I think she's a she's a fantastic character not my favorite but definitely a fantastic character. For me, I'm going to have to go, and I've always been this way, uh, Rafiki has always been my favorite. When I was in Kenya last year, I, this is another reason I just love this movie, is I got to actually see in the flesh, like in the flesh, in live, I got to see what the Serengeti looked like. So I got to see this, what this, this animated thing that I grew up watching look like in actuality. Wow. And so going over there and learning a little bit of Swahili, finding that the word Rafiki means friend, thought that was fantastic. I looked at him, uh, you know, this time around through the lens of that, of that word. And I, first of all, I love his voice. I cannot remember the actor's name, but it's Benson. The, the guy that plays a character you know, main from the TV show. 
but I love that he is, I don't know. He, I think he's optimistic. He's hopeful. I love that he is the, I don't know, not really Jiminy Cricket. I think Nala plays more of the Jiminy Cricket to, to Simba because she, she tells him to own up to his, his, his stuff. But Rafiki is one of these characters that I think he sees, he saw the potential for Simba right, you know, at his birth. And the moment that he is, I don't know, I guess he grabs some grass that Simba's apparently, you know, laid in or whatever, and he starts mixing it in that big bowl, and he goes, oh, he's alive! And, and, he, go, and he starts laughing. I love his, just his demeanor. I love the fact that I feel like he's a character that didn't lose hope. I mean, he, he, was, he was sad, and I think he was maybe on the brink of it, but then he gets this moment, and from that moment on, he gets his his joy back, and then when he finds Simba, that whole encounter with hitting him on the head, and he goes, "Man, that hurts. The past can't hurt," you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just, I think he's, I think the way he emits a sense of hope in in that, um, I've always loved that about him. I've always loved the fact that he seems to be sort of the kind of the 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 back end thread of of this whole story. Like he seems to always be there at, at crucial moments, even though he's not part of like the fight, even though he's not part of like the day to day stuff, he's there kind of as a, maybe an overseer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I know I, that, that kind of drew me to him. I thought it made him kind of, well, just kind of almost supernatural in some ways. Oh, <laughs> I, I like him. I would definitely agree with the fact that he's, he has a supernatural aspect to him. Mm-hmm. And, and as someone who's, I mean, He's he's kind of like a shaman in a, in a lot of ways. Uh, he's the spiritual leader and wise man um, of the tribe, as it were. And so, in a way, you know, he yeah, he's a seer as well. He kind of sees the future. I think some of that though can also be attributed to having gone through these cycles many times. He's obviously very experienced and the wise man. He, I don't know that he necessarily would see Simba as having some extraordinary potential as much as knowing that Simba's role is ultimately, no matter what, it's going to be to take over the pride. So from the very beginning, instilling that in him and directing him toward that goal, pushing him towards becoming what he knows that he's going to have to become. So it's almost, I guess I see it more of a, as a way of, um, like I'm going to be with my son, right? I'm going to believe in my son's potential and I'm going to, to push him toward his potential, even though I don't necessarily know the exact outcome of what that's going to be. Does that make, does that make any sense? Yeah. More so, more so than seeing the future, the idea of, of him seeing the future. Right. Um, so then again, he does like have some swirling leaves in the sky and, you know, he's got a Gandalf <laughs> staff. So what can I say? Yeah. <laughs> good, good point. That theme, that father-son and owning up to your potential, but not even that, really leading into realizing who you were meant to be was something I really gravitated towards. I mean, it's something that you and I, we we know about within our specific faith. That's something that, it's a theme that kind of lives in our faith of who we are meant to be, uh, who we identify ourselves with, and how that plays a part in 
how we live life. And I think that's probably what drew me to the story from a faith-based perspective. And there were definitely some themes of that. Now, uh, that, that theme is still pretty strong, but there's having a child, having a son, I definitely connect with the father-son aspect of it. There were moments when, I kid you not, the scene where it's just after Simba's been rescued by Mufasa at the elephant graveyard, and he says, you know, nobody else is with your dad. And they've had a little talk, and he says, you, you know, you've got to be careful. And they start playing, you know, they start roughhousing a little bit, you know, kind of, I don't know what you call it, uh, tumbling. <laughs> <laughs> um, my son, I kid you not, looks at the movie, comes back to me, and then starts imitating Simba. That's awesome. Starts, that and I'm like, so awesome. And my wife looks at me, and she, she just kind of gives me that look like, that's your son. Like, you better you better soak this up because this is amazing. And I'm like, yes, it is. And that's not a moment I necessarily envisioned, but it was perfect for me mm-hmm. because what I connected with the movie, my son connected with it from a completely different standpoint. And I loved it because we both connected to it together. It's one that I definitely want to continue. I want to share it with him again when he's not bouncing off the walls and wanting to talk and ask tons of questions. But that moment really helps solidify the fact that um, the father-son aspect is such a strong and now personal uh, connecting point with me. Uh, the theme of family in general is is a big thing. You know, you have this uh, relationship between Mufasa and Scar. Um, in some ways, you know, we're looking at two ways in which a family functions. Um, one is of kinsmanship and compassion. And the second one is self-serving and uh, and a lack of loyalty almost a sense of like family loyalty versus like political loyalty when you have like Mufasa compared to Scar. And I thought that was something that was incredibly poignant in this viewing was seeing how uh, family looks um, based on different motivations. Um, Did you pick up on anything like that uh, with, with this viewing in terms of um, that theme or other themes that you might've, might've found? Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that the, the interesting dynamic for me is also Scar and Mufasa. Um, I guess because I've seen it so many times that the Simba and Mufasa relationship has always been a thing that I pay attention to or that I notice it's the thing on the surface, right? Um, I love you had written down something (laughs) about Simba speaking to Cloud Mufasa, and I just laughed because um, <laughs> you have to differentiate regular Mufasa but, and Cloud Mufasa. But I, you know, having lost my mother, I can tell you that that is a great depiction of what it's like to imagine speaking to a parent that's gone, um, and imagine that parent speaking back to you and envisioning what they might say to you and the advice that they might give. So um, I I do love that. And, um, I think that, I think that one of the things I wanted to mention and talk about briefly would be that the idea of Hakuna Matata, because it's such a fantastic song and I love Timon and Pumbaa so much, uh, but you know, I used to, I used to believe that was such a great idea, but now I, I don't, I see how as an adult, it's really irresponsible <laughs> to ever think that that's a motto you could live by even for a short period of time, because really you would never accomplish anything 
no one would ever meet their goals or, or have any responsibilities. Um, no one would ever face any challenges. Uh, they'd just turn away from them because they were too hard. No one would really mature or grow up. Um, and I don't think that anybody would ever be able to be a part of a caring and giving community, which is what this film's family is really about. It's not just about these two lions. The family is the entire savannah, right? The, the way that the circle of life plays into this, it affects everybody. When, when Mufasa is in charge as the experienced, good, strong leader who tells uh, Simba, I, you know, he says, um, I don't, what did he say? He says something to the effect of, I don't go looking for trouble. Uh, right. <laughs> I'm only, I'm only brave when I have to be mm, right. Yeah. He, he rules for the people, for the, the other lions and for the other right. animals. Scar obviously doing so is selfish. And so they all suffer, but mm-hmm. that's more of a, that's what would happen if everybody had a Hakuna Matata mentality. And so I find it fascinating that we get Timon and Pumbaa as those characters that embrace that. And yet, ultimately, they volunteer to go back and help Simba because there's this thread of friendship that has become, you know, evident between these three. They, he, they're not asked to come back. Um, but they put aside their ideas and their way of living. And so they go through a growth. And I I really love that about the film, that they're not just there to sing a cute song and be funny. Like, those characters change as well. And they learn something from Simba through his experiences. They learn that their, their method is not going to work for them either. Not just that it's not going to work for Simba. Um, and so, you know, they come with him. And they get to find what friendship is and what it means. And it's, it's helping It's sacrificial. It's more than just living with no worries. So that's one of the things that I, I noticed this time around as well. Yeah. I, I look at that and obviously that plays into the coming of age theme that we have hit on with almost famous where it's not just the main characters growth, but also supplementary characters that find ways to change and mature and, um, you know, it says a lot about good storytelling and good writing that you not only, you know, you don't just focus on the one character, but the whole ensemble that how they all play a part in growing each other up and how they all change to, you know, provide a, a better outcome, not only for, you know, in this case, Pride Rock in the, in, in the Savannah, but to their own lives. And, uh, and, and I thought that was such a, such a cool thing. Uh, one one other thing before we um, wind down, I wanted to talk a little bit about this idea of manipulation. So the Lion King does a lot of interesting things that we've mentioned, a lot of very cool things. But I remember this film specifically hitting me in the gut uh, with the way that Scar manipulates Simba. And even after watching it again, I get a real desire to want to just hate Scar for what he did. Uh, I mentioned to you offline, as uh, even before I watched it, I said, I know exactly what my connecting point is going to be, if we ever had a connecting point for a show like this. Um, a close second would be the opening sequence, because it just grabs me. But the connecting point for me would, would have been, uh, and would be, the moment that Scar 
drives his claws into Mufasa as Mufasa is trying to climb up that cliff. And he, I can't remember specifically what he says. Oh, he goes, long live the king. And he throws him off and you see scars or you see Mufasa's face. And then you see that really cool, like zoom out shot or zoom in shot of Simba screaming. And at that moment, I remember thinking, what did I just see? Did I just see murder from a Disney movie? I mean, I was, you know, I was surprised. Not this time around, obviously. I've seen this so many times, but I, I, I was just taken aback when I saw that, in the, when I when I saw it in the theater, and it surprised me, man. It surprised me that a Disney feature would do this. You know, I've, I mean, we know that characters die in Disney features, but we never see murder. We see. At least I haven't, you know, I've seen characters either pass away or they get, I guess they get killed in battle, but I couldn't think of any, uh, in preparation for the show where that was deliberate as deliberate, as deliberate as it was in the Lion King. And, um, you know, it, it's through this power of manipulation that, that plays itself out because even up to the very end, Scar is trying to manipulate Simba, uh, by, telling him that it's all the hyenas fault and now the hyenas are then turning on, on scar and gosh, it just, it just tells me what a crappy way to live, you know, to live a lie, to live in a way that you're trying to get what you want to be selfish and that you have to do that. Um, I didn't feel sorry for scar, <laughs> but I definitely, um, I definitely had some kind of, I don't know what, how to describe it, but I definitely kind of felt sorry for him. That's, that would be empathy. I think. Yeah. It's empathy, yeah, get, not sympathy. Okay. Yeah. Um, I still I still hate him. Empathy so, is mean, more of an understanding. Sympathy is okay. more of a, like, I feel the same thing. Okay. Whatever. I, I, so, yeah, I mean, I I don't even know that I had that for him. I hate him. And uh, I agree. It was one thing I noted, too, was I don't know that I've... I can't think of a single Disney film where murder is as point blank as it is in this. Um, as it's displayed in this and maybe, maybe they realized they didn't want to do that going forward, but it's, it's so powerful in this one because you're not expecting it. And, you know, one of the things that, that scar specifically says, I'm glad you brought up manipulation because it's a great lesson for kids is scar uses the classic manipulation line of it's our little secret. That's what he tells Simba. Like, it's just our little secret, right? Don't tell your dad. Don't tell your mom. It's our little secret. And that's something that kids need to know is not right and is not okay. And so from a teaching standpoint, the movie shows that very clearly. Like, that's not something we want to listen to because that is not doing what your father and your mother told you to do. And obedience is – it shows us obedience is important. And it's crazy because this is a day and age where films don't really do that very much anymore. They don't focus on family values and teaching kids to obey and do what people tell them to do. It's all about, Hey, be your own self, do your own thing, you know, have your own, have your own way and and make your own choices and don't let anybody tell you otherwise. And this film is very strong in those family values. So I like that as well. Then it pulls that out of the whole awfulness of, you know, a brother killing a brother. Uh, I mean, it's it's Cain and Abel. If we're going to talk, you know, classic stories, you know, one brother wants the power. The other, the other one's chosen. One brother doesn't like it. And so, hey, I'm just going to kill you and take it for myself. 
Right. The idea of of what you just mentioned, when you couple that with it being with it coming from a family member, I think enhances that. When you're told that you have, um, you know, it's our little secret. Gosh, that sounds so creepy. You I know, know that's why I wanted to mention it. Yeah, it's it's, it's awful. just you know, and the fact that it comes from a family member, someone that Simba you know trusts by default because he shares the same bloodline, um, is is incredibly dangerous, and um, it just it. It just creeps me out. I don't. I don't like it. Don't want to think about it. I know. <laughs> um, well, cool stuff, man. I am so glad that we get to talk about it tonight, um, and I'm I'm hoping that that you guys listening will continue the conversation on the web. Um, if you want to continue the conversation with me, you can do so at the Big Three at Shoeless Patch, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram S H O E L E S S P A T C H. And you can also find me in our Facebook group. I'm fairly active, uh, along with all of our great listeners who join the conversation, and we'll continue the conversation there. But love to hear your thoughts, favorite characters, favorite songs, uh, memories from uh, watching it growing up, or maybe even your exposure to to kids, uh, your kids that uh, maybe have never seen that. So yeah, come find me on the web, and let's continue the conversation. Yeah, if you'd like to uh, find me online and continue the conversation with me, you can find me all over the place at Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E. I also am active in the Facebook group with our many listeners. Uh, you can find a link to that on our website or in the show notes for this episode. And quickly get there, join it up, and start talking. Next week, we are bringing you, we're staying with Disney, because, you know, Disney's good, but we're not going to do animated. We're going to do another live-action remake uh, review. And so we are going to be talking about 2015's Cinderella and we are excited about that so for Memorial Day you can expect that new episode coming to you and for our Patreon supporters um, we will be dropping a top five favorite Disney animated films episode uh, right after this so it should be available now and all of our reward levels on Patreon have access to the full catalog of bonus episodes I think that is as cheap as two dollars a month so we would love your support. It goes a long way, and it helps us keep creating the amazing content that we like to create and doing our best to put as much out as you want to hear. So if you're interested, patreon.com slash film. We would love to have you come be part of that supportive family. Patrick, I'm so glad again that, that our listeners chose this episode. So thankful for all of you who voted, and uh, I'm, I'm pumped we get to talk about this one. I am too, man. And that about wraps it up for this episode. So uh, as we always say on the show, stay positive. And keep feeling film.